This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. What do elections in Taiwan tell us about that country's willingness to arm up against China's desire to absorb Taiwan entirely? Cato's Eric Gomez comments. Eric, we spoke recently about uh, Taiwan's best friend, which is dysfunction in China's military. Uh, How much did the uh, potential for Taiwan to arm up to protect itself uh, from uh, some sort of invasion or attack or uh, occupation from China? How how prominently did that figure in these elections? It's hard to tell, but like most elections, including elections in the United States, foreign policy is always one of many concerns, with domestic usually being more so. And I think that was the case here. Uh, this was uh, the deep. So in, in this election, there were three players, Democratic Progressive Party, DPP. They're the incumbents. They've been in power at the president level for eight consecutive years. There's the Kuomintang or the KMT, the main sort of opposition party to them. And there's this new party, the Taiwan People's Party, the TPP. And I think it's best to view this election as a referendum on eight years of the DPP running the show, right? And in that, there's a lot, a whole lot of you know, domestic concerns. Uh, there were some scandals with DPP uh, high-ranking politicians in the lead up to this thing, to the election. Uh, there's issues about the economy and an aging population. And so I think that issues of self-defense while or you know the cross straight thing while some while voters probably were thinking of that i i think that it we shouldn't read too much it wasn't the sole issue it wasn't the main issue driving this election um although i think we are we're we are going to focus a lot on that because it matters the most for the united states but for the people of taiwan it was sort of a secondary i think consideration i mean that's shocking that the the idea of a what to the people of Taiwan may be considered a foreign power coming in and taking over is, you know, one of many issues. Yeah, that's I think that is certainly true. I think that when it comes to the cross-strait issue, I, I don't know if there's much of a sense of urgency um, in the Taiwanese political leadership or in the population. I think there certainly was after Hong Kong in like the 20, what was that like 2019 period where one country, two systems, right? China's idea of, hey, reunify with us and we'll let you have special privileges or, uh, you know, a sort of a unique political system all your own, which was the deal they gave to Hong Kong. It was the deal they offered to Taiwan. When Hong Kong, when China passed the the big, you know, domestic security law in Hong Kong, the the feeling in Taiwan was, okay, one country, two systems is dead, right? We're never going to accept that. So if the election happened then, I think there, there well, no, election, um, yeah, if, if the election happened sort of right near the Taiwan period or the Hong Kong period, I think that would have been a bigger driver. Um, but now I think they're kind of used to it, right? The, the Taiwanese people are used to the sort of daily 
you know, all right, Chinese, a few Chinese aircraft in the air defense zone, you know, it's sort of become routinized. And because of that, I think it's not like this sense of urgency. And I think, to be fair, I don't think China's going to invade Taiwan anytime in the near future either. But it would be nice to see more of that sense of urgency. And uh, what is what are the takeaways for U.S. policymakers? So I think that the folks, most folks in Washington are going to be happy that the DPP won the presidency because the DPP is traditionally the, or at least recently, has been very pro-U.S. ties. Uh, they've leaned very hard into the democracy versus autocracy type framing of the Biden admin. But what makes this interesting is our election coming up at the end of the year and whoever wins it, right? If Biden wins it, I think the the DPP in Taiwan just continues business as usual in terms of this whole, hey, we're a, we're a democracy, therefore we deserve support, and they will get that support. If Trump wins, honestly, I don't know what happens <laughs> because Trump had a lot of you know hard, tough rhetoric for China, but during his first term, he also said, you know, if Taiwan gets attacked, look at the size of China, look at the size of Taiwan. No way we're coming to their defense. Um, Trump also sold a lot of weapons to Taiwan that haven't been delivered yet. Um, but those weapons were kind of not well suited to defeating an invasion. So it's a it's a very mixed bag and an uncertain bag with Trump. So I think whatever happens in November here is going to be almost more important than what happened, you know, in Taipei over the uh, over, you know, the recent election. One of the uh, claims, not really claims, I suppose, but threats that uh, Donald Trump as president sort of threw out there to NATO was sure will play the part of the guy who comes in and fixes things on behalf of NATO. But you guys mm -hmm. need to write us checks. Yeah. <laughs> and it is that that seems like I mean, I I don't like that uh, relative to the U.S. simply uh, stepping back or maybe removing itself from NATO. But uh, what how similar might that be to to a deal offered to Taiwan? That's a great question, because I think I, I think he certain I think he certainly might offer that it would not be. It would not be a good use of Taiwan's money, <laughs> right? I don't. I don't care about like them giving the U.S. a cash payment. Um, I want them to like buy weapons. <laughs> um, so, but I, I think the the general theme of allies need to pull their weight. If if Trump comes back in and and can stick to that, I don't necessarily. I don't think that's a bad thing for Taiwan. They do need to pull more of their weight, and in their you know, to to speak positively of Taiwan, under the last eight years of DPP administration, they have made good but not great steps, right? They they have increased defense spending a bit slower than I would have liked, but they have steadily over, over multiple years. They've bought some of the right stuff, some of some not right stuff, but they're moving sort of what I call like a two steps forward, one step back approach to this asymmetric defense strategy that I prefer. So I think that will continue, right? I, I think that's the benefit of, you know, DPP winning again. We sort of know what to expect. The current president-elect was the vice president for the previous admin. 
So maybe that will be satisfying enough to Trump where he won't be like, give us money. Um, but I, I think that the general theme of allies need to do more for their own defense is good. But the idea of that means like a direct cash payment to America is bad. I'd much rather see the money be spent elsewhere. Yeah. From the perspective of Taiwan, it seems that arming up yourself is vastly preferable to paying uh, a friend to arm up on your behalf. Well, and that's what arming up is whenever they, you know, whenever they purchase a U.S. weapon, that money makes it to the United States eventually, right? Like, um, and they already have a bunch of stuff, you know, that they're waiting on delivery for. So I, I think that is, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I feel like I know the answer to this, but to what extent do these elections alter any uh, rhetoric or perhaps future plans that China might have for subsuming uh, Taiwan into China? I think the big the, the way to answer that is is what does China feel about the prospect of peaceful unification? Right. Do they feel that peaceful unification is still viable or not? It, this election was weird in Taiwan. There was a third party candidate who kind of split the KMT vote pretty significantly. And their system is just first past the post. So the DPP candidate for president got only like 40 percent of the vote, but they don't do a runoff. He just got the most of, of the individual candidates. So he won. If you didn't have that third party guy there, I think he loses and I think the KMT wins. So the Taiwanese people are not so much enamored with the DPP as they are, you know, sort of getting split by this third party. And in the legislature, the DPP lost seats and is no longer in the majority in the legislature e either. So they're going to have a divided government. I think the the good news story for this for China is in the short term, uh, Taiwan is unlikely to build the sort of political consensus to do something really stupid, like declare independence and, and sort of provide China a, a reason to attack. The, the bigger uncertainty, though, is, you know, what does this mean for the long term, right? Because even in the even in the campaign, the KMT guys who are usually seen as very you know, quote unquote, pro-Chinese, they were saying like, look, we're, we're still going to buy weapons from more weapons from the U.S. Like we're, they moderated a lot of that sort of cross-straight kumbaya rhetoric that they had in previous election cycles. And they, and they would have won if there wasn't this third party guy. So China either has to cool it with all of the coercive stuff towards Taiwan. So they stop losing support. <laughs> Or, you know, in the, in the long run, I, I think conflict is still possible. And it's come down to that question of maybe the, if, if China starts feeling that its options for peacefully unification with Taiwan are coming off the table because all the political parties in Taiwan are like, we don't really want to be a part of you. <laughs> um, but like that, that is more concerning. But I think it's also more of a, it's more of a next decade question for the time being. Does that moderation of rhetoric reflect somewhat the average person in Taiwan's view of unification? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the 
identity of people in Taiwan as Taiwanese as opposed to Chinese has been a long growing thing. Most people in Taiwan don't see themselves as having much of any Chinese identity anymore. Um, and, you know, Beijing's own actions toward Taiwan have a lot of bearing on that, right? You know, if you, if you, if you keep threatening someone and you keep like acting like a jerk to them, um, when they are kind of not doing too many things to, to change their own policies, it's, Sort of like, well, shoot, well, screw you too. Why should I feel like I should be a part of you? Um, which is from from the perspective of being expected, you know, the country being expected to come to Taiwan's defense in the event of a war is somewhat concerning, right? Of like, hey, are you sure you want to continue down these trends, you know, Taiwan and China? But it's also something that we can't really, the U.S. can't really do anything to fix. Like, we're not going to be able to tell the Taiwanese, you have to stop thinking this way and get on board. And we probably wouldn't do that anyway. So I don't know. I, I think my hope for the future, the immediate future at least, is while Beijing is not happy with this outcome, that they're going to be like, okay, we know what the game plan is for the last eight years. China's probably going to do some short-term ratcheting up of their rhetoric and sort of military posturing around Taiwan, but we'll probably dial it back after the inauguration of the president. And then from there, just keep the ship steady, right? No one do anything too crazy to kind of shake it up. Eric Gomez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening.